1: Rough hands, dirty boots, and farming roots. It's all we know. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Good morning
2: on a Monday morning. Aaron Zimmerman here with you on the Midwest Farm Report. On a pretty brisk Monday morning at that, following that pretty chilly weekend, we'll talk to Stu Mock, Ag Meteorologist, in just a little bit to find out whether these cooler temperatures are here to stay and if we have any more precipitation in the forecast. Now, speaking of precipitation, as farmers and agriculturists, we're always watching the weather. And you can actually get involved in reporting the weather by becoming a rainfall reporter for the National Weather Service. I had the chance to talk with Kevin Erb. He's with UW-Extension and part of the group CocoRaz that helps to make weather reports and forecasts more accurate by just taking two minutes a day to give their rainfall reports. And then finally, at the end of the show, Farm Director Pam Yonke had the chance to catch up with our friends at the Wisconsin Soybean Association, getting to talk to Dr. Sean Conley, the UW Extension Soybean Specialist, just ahead of planting season. There's a lot going on here this morning, so let's get to it and kick things off here on Monday, March 28th.
3: Looking for tillable acres, a modern dairy facility, a farm site, or ideal land for hunting? Don't miss the Monroe County
0: Wisconsin Building Sites and Farmland Auction. This timed online auction closes Tuesday, March 29th at 1 p.m. Steffes Group will be selling 375-plus acres to be sold in 10 tracts of various uses. Go to steffesgroup.com right now for drone footage and detailed building descriptions. For the Monroe County Wisconsin Building Sites and Farmland Auction closing Tuesday, March 29th. That's S-T-E-F-F-E-S Group.com.
3: As the weather slowly warms up in Wisconsin, we can hardly wait for those summer rays that we haven't felt in more than six months. I'm Stephanie Hoff from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. Of course, Bob, you've been fortunate enough to fly out to where the sun is plentiful. And like Wisconsin, the tropics grow a bounty of food, although it looks very different than what we produce here.
4: It looks a whole lot different, Stephanie. Bob also at the northern end of the world's longest barn, and we did have the opportunity to spend a pretty good share of the early winter in Hawaii. And on the island of Maui, we had a chance to uh, visit one of the few pineapple plantations left in Hawaii. Pineapples left a few years ago because, of course, labor problems. We had a chance to talk to Mo. Mo is a pineapple guide and a pineapple aficionado on the island of Maui, and to find out about the the history of it, and he said it was hard to see the pineapple industry leave the islands because it had been around for a long, long time. In 1890, the explorer named Captain
5: John Kidwell, who worked with the Dole Corporation, bought pineapples from Brazil to Paraguay, to Jamaica, to Florida, to San Francisco, to Hawaii. Uh, In 1888, 1890, uh, the Baldwin brothers uh, started planting the first commercial pineapples uh, here in Maui. Uh, Then over also, too, the Dole Corporation also started in Oahu, um, started a farm also in Oahu. Um, By 1910, there was about 16 different companies uh, here in Maui um, growing pineapple for the purposes of canning pineapple, so they could send pineapple around the world for the very first time.
4: And... uh It's evolved to where it is now. Unfortunately, it seems to be going the wrong direction. What's the status of it now? And why have we gotten to this point? So
5: basically from 1930 to 1991 or 1990, 1999, Hawaii was the number one supplier of pineapples to the entire world. Um, But because of cost of labor, cost of living, and just like doing business here in Hawaii, a lot of pineapple um, companies, almost all the pineapple companies except for two picked up and went to South America Central America, the Philippines, uh, Vietnam, and India where cost of labor and paying people to harvest and plant pineapples is a lot less. So we're just losing out uh, to the rest of the world because of inflation and cost of labor, just like a lot of things here in Hawaii. Uh, Same thing happened with sugarcane in 2018. So instead of us having sugarcane fields here everywhere now, uh, you have to go to the Philippines to find the major producer of sugarcane now because it's just too expensive uh, to farm sugar or pineapple here in Maui.
4: Well, thank goodness for a Maui Gold pineapple because they are still keeping alive the tradition of pineapples in Hawaii. Mo, what does it take? How intense a crop is pineapple as far as growing it? What's the growing cycle and how do we get it started and how do we harvest? It's intense. I mean, the first pineapple takes between 18 and 24 months to grow. Here at Maui
5: Gold Farms, uh, we do all the planting by hand, so it takes a long time. Our planters plant between eight and 12,000 plants per day, all by hand. So all the plant shoots that come off the pineapple are all put into the ground by hand. All the pineapples are taken back out of the fields by hand as well. So because of all that handwork, it's very labor intensive. So the people here that have been farming pineapple and sugarcane for hundreds of years, uh, some of the hardest working people in the whole world. So it's very hard to replace hard workers as you know. Um, you're older like I am and you know, Um, Our younger generations are back when you were young and back when I was young, they don't build them like that anymore, right? As they say, they don't make them like that anymore. And that's exactly what's happening on these days. The kids these days, they don't
4: wanna work out here. In the pineapple field to the sugarcane field. So well it is a it is a different situation, no question about it. But tell us about these planters, because the story you told us about uh, this planting group is is amazing. Yeah. So
5: youngest planter in the group is forty eight years old, oldest planter in the group is seventy one years old. And they've been averaging an average of about twenty five to forty five years that they've been here uh, working with Maui Land and Pineapple, uh, planting and harvesting sugarcane and pineapple. Very very difficult job. Um, they used to plant every single day when we had more than 82,000 acres here on Maui, but now that there's only a thousand acres, they just plant twice a week. It's very demanding. And they say that, you know, a 12 or 14 hour day planting is equal to an 80 hour um, double work week at, at a regular job. So it's very demanding, very, very physical, very lots of physical labor. And lots of people come out here and they try out. Uh, every single month to come out here and be a pineapple planter or a pineapple harvester and just some people just don't make the grade. I mean it's a very very hard job and it takes a particular hard-working person to stick it out there. And uh, want to be out there in the hot sun
4: every day planting pineapple. It's very difficult. And if they do stick it out, it's it's worthwhile for them it's economically because this is an expensive place that's, to live. That's Right, and like they're 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 played by the piece. When they
5: once they get paid, uh, each planter plants between eight and twelve thousand shoots a day. Once they get past seven thousand shoots, they get paid by the shoot. So there's an incentive to plant faster. That's the reason why they can plant somebody in one day. They've got a money incentive to get out there and plant. And they take care of them. they got great insurance out here. There's profit sharing out here. So they really, uh, Maui Gold Pineapples really takes care of their employees out here. That's the reason why people want to stick around. I've been here for about a year and three months now, and I've not seen turnover. I've not seen people coming here and being hired and then quitting and walking away. People that come here and work
4: stay here and work. What's the cultural practices, the agronomic practices? What do these plants need as far as soil type, as far as fertilization, as far as pH of the soil? What's all involved to grow pineapple successfully?
5: Pineapple needs a a pH of 7, which is neutral in the ground. Uh, They need very little fertilization. We use a chicken and a cow manure out here, and we use a urea that we'll put down the ground that's high in nitrogen. Um, But since we have volcanic soil ash cinder and volcanic rock and our ph is right at seven we don't need to over fertilize so the plants don't need a lot they just need to be in this environment here in hawaii luscious soil beautiful um air temperature wonderful volcanic spring water so we really have to do very little to farm out here everybody that i know that lives up country has a little farm in their backyard and everybody farms a little bit everyone has some sort of fruit or vegetable growing in their yard
4: as far as the pineapples themselves one fruit off a plant or how does that work so you can get you can get as much as three fruits
5: off of one plant that's what we do at the farm we can do up to two to three generations but a pineapple plant itself can live up to seven years and can produce in the wild can produce several pineapples over its span or lifetime because okay? every time a pineapple plant rots and decays and goes back on the ground, a little bit of rainwater, and a new pineapple plant can come up in its place, even if it's not propagated. I always tell people to go to Lanai, where they had more than 15,000 acres of pineapple growing in Lanai. They don't cultivate them anymore, but there's still wild pineapple growing out there. So just a little bit of rainwater, and the pineapple plant wants to just keep on going. All right? So as long as you're growing out here in Hawaii, Pineapple plants do very well, and they don't, need, they don't need a whole lot to go,
4: but they need a lot of handwork so they can be propagated and so they can be harvested. Now, some of the misnomers about pineapple, the one is they don't grow on trees. No. But some of the other stuff about, uh, you know, when you pick a pineapple and put it on the counter, does it get better? Some of the things that uh, people have misconceptions about. So pineapples don't grow up in trees. They're bromeliad plants. They grow on bushes anywhere from three to five feet tall.
5: Uh, pineapples do not ripen much after you pick them. They might ripen for maybe uh, maybe 24 to 48 hours after you pick them. After that, they start to rot and decay from the inside out. So it's different from an apple and orange that you can pick green, and then they change color in the store. Pineapples are not the same. So because of that reason, here at Maui Gold Farms, we're one of the only pineapple farms in the world that picks the pineapples ripe, and fresh and ready to eat right at that moment. So you can literally go to the store, get a out, pineapple and eat it right
4: away. You don't need to set
5: it on the counter for any amount of time.
4: What about uh, if you do set it on the counter, will the sugars go to the bottom? Do you turn it back upside down if you want to use it the next day? What are some of the things that okay, uh, so tricks? They, they say that the sweetest part of the pineapple is the bottom of
5: the pineapple. So one thing you can do is you can twist the top of the pineapple off, flip the pineapple upside down and put it on your, cor- on your counter for at least 24 hours. And that's going to allow that 80 to 90% sugar to travel from the bottom of the pineapple to the top of the pineapple just by flipping it upside down on your counter just overnight. So that's what some people say. So they say the bottom of the pineapple is the sweeter part. Okay?
4: And they can be grown in Wisconsin, not outside like they do here in Hawaii, but they can be grown in the upper Midwest in cold climates. Greenhouse, you can grow
5: it outside. Okay? You have a greenhouse. If, you, if your plant is established, you can put it outside. You don't want to put a young pineapple plant outside. But I used to live in Mendocino at 5,000 feet, and I had about a dozen plants that I had outside that went through a snowstorm. And I thought they were history. I, I let them go. I'm like, oh, those plants are dead. But come springtime, when the snow melted, the pineapple plants were still alive. Now, they didn't grow throughout the wintertime when the snow was covering them. But once the sun, the summer sun hit them, they came back alive. So an established plant can make it through. It's not going to grow as fast as it grows here in Hawaii. So instead of it taking two years to get one pineapple, it might take three, four, or even five years. Right? I've had pineapple plants that are five years old, yet still to produce fruit, and that's because of the fluctuating temperature.
4: Hmm. One of the sweetest treats you'll ever have, pineapple in Hawaii, here at Maui Gold on Maui with Mo. I'm Bob Bosold.
1: This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
6: Are you ready for the next generation of body sculpting? A Skin Care Minute with skincare expert, Michelle Neeson. Current body shaping devices have addressed unwanted stubborn fat and skin laxity. But what if we want more muscle strength and toning? Emsculpt is our new body sculpting device at Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie that uses high intensity electromagnetic contractions with a 30 minute treatment described as equivalent to 20,000 crunches. MSculpt is approved for abdomen, arms, thighs, and calves. And it's also the world's first non-invasive butt toning and lifting procedure. MSculpt is a safe, effective addition to any workout program. The possibilities are endless.
7: Let your natural beauty shine through.
6: View our specials at Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie.com.
3: When you're shopping around for a pre-owned vehicle, you know what you want. A shiny, fun-to-drive ride that won't let you down. But how do you know if it's reliable? A Wisconsin State inspection is 60 points, which means checking 60 things. Most dealerships follow that playbook. Bergstrom Automotive isn't exactly what you would call most dealerships. Bergstrom performs a 172-point inspection on all pre-owned vehicles before they're even chosen to be on the lot. 172. That's 112 more areas where the vehicle needs an exam. With that much attention, you know they're looking at parts and pieces you probably didn't even know exist. Do the math. A 60-point inspection or 172. And all to make sure you're safe, confident, and happy with your pre-owned purchase. Choose from over 1,500 elaborately inspected pre-owned vehicles at Bergstrom Automotive. Join the Bergstrom Auto family.
1: Hang on to your tractors. Here's another update. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
2: Time now for our Compere Financial Ag Weather Update with Stu Mock, Ag Meteorologist. Now, Stu, you know, I feel like we're, you know, in that kind of normal spring Wisconsin weather where you can shuffle the deck and pick any card and that'll just, you know, be as random as what the weather is going to be that day.
8: Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) You hit it. Yep, yep.
2: (laughs) Sounds about right. And, Cold, little colder this weekend. At least the sun was out on Saturday, but are, is it going to stay cold? Are we going to see more rain that we've seen? What, what do things look like?
8: it all changes you hit that right it starts to warm up and there will be some rain trying to edge in here but oh we can't write out snow mixing with it either that's going to certainly be a possibility let's talk about this monday morning with high pressure right in our part of the midwest that's going to lead to more sunshine today and really a pretty fine day as that high starts to slide a bit further east our winds become a bit more variable as we head toward the afternoon shifting into the east not very strong so along with the sunshine Temperatures in the upper 30s and not much wind, this could seem like a very fine day. But it leads into the next system, a strong low building in from the California coast. I expect it's going to make its way up into Nebraska and very well aiming tomorrow toward northeast Iowa, southeast Minnesota, western Wisconsin, taking kind of a bullseye in that area. And as that low swings up into Wisconsin, then for midweek, we are going to talk about rain and rain becomes a possibility tomorrow toward late in the day as that low moves up into Nebraska rain there could be some thunderstorms rain and snow may be what we see to start late Tuesday Tuesday night and then some rain or snow around as it draws to a close finally by later Wednesday night or into Thursday but I think mostly we're going to talk about some rain around here pretty easily some quarter to half inch amounts of rain maybe pushing near three quarters of an inch at La Crosse and up toward Moston everybody else a little on the lighter side snow a little more likely at Eau Claire by Tuesday night or into Wednesday, where they may accumulate an inshore two yet, just entering into midweek. Well, on the leading edge of the storm, as you would expect, those temperatures moderate. So warming a little today, a little nicer for tomorrow. Wednesday could be a very nice day. Most of us, at least in the 50s, where the rain's heavier, low 50s, elsewhere, even upper 50s. So a little more pleasant around midweek temperature-wise, but that's when we have that rain. It cools behind the system, a cold front slips through and winds return back to a northerly direction by Thursday. That could lead to some of the snow chance I'm talking about. Pretty light snow for most of us, the heaviest up toward Eau Claire in central Wisconsin. And then we dry it out, temperatures don't sound too bad in the 40s, a lot more like normal at least, looking toward Friday and the upcoming weekend. I'll have forecast details right after this.
2: As a farmer, you're always watching the weather. And you know it can change in a moment's notice. Why not help keep track of the weather by becoming a rainfall reporter for the National Weather Service? Weather observers just like you are scattered throughout the United States, helping to submit data to improve the accuracy of our weather reports. Just head on over to cocorahs.org to learn more and get signed up today. All righty, Sue, let's hear that uh, extended forecast and see kind of what's ahead for us.
8: All right, let's walk you through our Compure Financial like weather forecast. Mostly sunny skies for our Monday. Not bad in the upper 30s. North winds at five become calm or even more east as we head through the day. Overnight becoming mostly cloudy. We fall into the mid-20s with southeast winds then at 5 to 10. Becoming mostly cloudy over the day Tuesday. Some sunshine, especially east and south in the morning. And the chance of a little rain toward late in the day. Low 40s, 42 or so, but breezy. Southeast winds 10 to 20. They'll even gust near 30. Rain could be some thunderstorms Tuesday night. And that chance lasts into Wednesday Mostly cloudy with the rain around. I'd expect a little snow toward Eau Claire later on Wednesday. Talking temps in the low 50s west, upper 50s in the east and southern parts of Wisconsin. Those south winds at 5 to 15 by Thursday. A little rain and snow tapering off, finally ending. And we see those temps a little cooler in the upper 30s. But sunshine back for Friday finally then. Aaron, but uh, a little cooler than normal, but at least in the 40s heading for the weekend.
2: Sure, definitely. You know, if we cross our fingers hard enough, this nice spring weather will get here eventually, and then we'll, you know, get toward get towards the
8: summer months, I think. <laughs> oh, you, you can count on April starting to seem a lot more like spring.
2: Sure, definitely. Sounds good. Well, that's your Compier Financial Ag Weather Update. Compier Financial, your financial partner committed to agriculture and rural America. For more information, visit compeer.com. Well, again, that is Stu Muck, our egg meteorologist with our forecast. Stu, thank you very much, and uh, we'll shuffle the deck again and see what we get and talk with you again tomorrow. All
8: right, Aaron, take care.
2: Sounds good. Thank you very much,
1: Stu. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
9: There goes Pam Yonke across Wisconsin in her suburban truck. Thanks to Farm First Dairy Cooperative. Serving dairy farmers across the Midwest since 2013. Farm First Dairy Cooperative. Member focused, member driven, member led. And from Equity Livestock Cooperative. Marketing your livestock, financing your operation, and supporting the livestock community since 1922. Keep up with Pam at fabulousfarmbabe.net. On Facebook and Twitter.
10: I've had the opportunity to be involved in several programs in the Wisconsin Farm Bureau, one of which was the Farm Bureau Institute. It's a great leadership program to help develop leadership skills, whether it's social media skills or the opportunity to speak to legislators and learn different ways and tools you can use to help get your message across. WFBF.com. They've really helped
11: my leadership develop. A
7: voice for farmers. A vision for agriculture.
1: Wisconsin Farm Bureau.
11: Tom Spitz And David Fink of Settlers Bank Where we understand financing your home can be complicated We've streamlined the entire process Complete your application online, anytime, from anywhere If you plan to buy, build, or refinance a home, we make it easy To learn more, visit settlerswi.com
0: Settlers Bank Timely decisions People you know
11: Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender
3: WiseWay Flooring's budget-friendly pricing beats the big box store every day. WiseWay stocks flooring by the pallet and the roll to get you better pricing. Our cash and carry discount saves you even more for a beautiful do-it-yourself floor.
11: I'm Mike Yenser at WiseWay Flooring, inviting you to visit our showroom in Watertown, Lake Mills, and Econom Walk. See
3: how our product pricing might
11: be the right thing for you. Commercial or residential, the wise habit. Log on to INeedFlooringNow.com.
6: Are you fairly fit but would love a little edge up? Are you entering middle age with a slowing metabolism and weak core? MSculpt may be your answer. A skincare minute with skincare expert Michelle Neeson. Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie is proud to be one of the first clinics in the area to offer this new muscle-building technology called MSculpt. It's approved for building and toning abs, arms, butt, thighs, and calves. MSculp works. One 30-minute treatment can be equivalent to 20,000 crunches or 20,000 squats. It's safe, effective, and painless with virtually no downtime. Sound too good to be true? Visit Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie to learn more.
7: Let your natural beauty
6: shine through. View our specials at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com.
11: The traditional light bulb, a groundbreaking invention in 1879. It's time we switch to longer-lasting Energy Star light bulbs. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council.
0: Sometimes people think we're the bathroom remodeling place that just covers up your old stuff. It's how Rebath got its start 40 years ago. But just as technology has improved since dial phones, we've grown to become a total bathroom remodeling company. Free in home consultation, free custom design, an affordable new bath in just days, not weeks. Visit our showroom on Stoughton Road or rebath.com. Rebath, making
3: it easy to love your bath.
0: If you talk, they will hear you.
11: We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy, so we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect, not just one time but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
3: So you. You All right,
11: so if
10: Gonzaga is the Green Bay Packers in this sense, under compared to football terms, uh, I almost said that the, uh, the Wisconsin Badgers are like the Minnesota Vikings. I stopped myself because I almost vomited a little bit and then I realized hang on no 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 no, that's not the case because the Big Ten the conference itself is much harder than what the NFC North is and there are some parallels but then Rowdy said he had a doozy and it comes from the AFC so if Gonzaga is the Green Bay Packers Rowdy what are the Wisconsin Badgers?
9: Yeah, so I thought about it for a little bit, and the first thing that popped into my mind when I glanced at some of the NFL teams was Baltimore Ravens. And they play in the AFC North, black and blue division, right? Big 10, big stage, physical. Yeah, big 10, big stage. Obviously, Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh's the big dog in that division. They have the more, more of the championships. They're the longtime team. But then I thought about it, and I was like, Baltimore's won a couple Super Bowls. Uh, I don't know. They, they've won... They've probably won too many Super Bowls to really be compared to Wisconsin. So then I kind of kept looking around, ended up settling on a team for the AFC West. Went with the Los Angeles Chargers, and here's why. Oh. For the oh. past twenty, twenty-five years, the Chargers were pretty relevant and pretty damn good with Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers, but were never able to ever win that Super Bowl. And kind of like Wisconsin, they've been pretty good, pretty solid, but haven't ever quite been able to make that real run. And they did make what two final four runs, but they did they came up short of a championship. But then I thought about it. We're Wisconsin. We we won a national title in basketball in the 40s. Yeah, but some people don't forget don't, it. Some people uh-huh. don't consider that a national title, and it might have been like a a voting where they tied with another team. So then I was thinking about it, and this works perfectly with uh, the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers because the only time they ever won a championship was when they won the AFL championship, <laughs> oh. where it was AFL versus in nfl there was no super bowl yet it was in the 60s before the super bowls
12: it's even before they played each other exactly so i'm
9: saying it's like the wisconsin 1941 (laughs) national title they've been relevant for 20 years (laughs) couldn't win a title and the last time they actually did win a quote-unquote title people question it i can see the san diego chargers by the
10: way i just went to ncaa.com right to the right to the beast itself and I typed in Wisconsin National Championship in on NCAA.com. Cam. And I quote, Wisconsin won its first NCAA National Championship in 1941. The Badgers played their first two games on their home <laughs> floor before beating Washington State 39-34 in a barn burner in the uh. title game. So take that,
1: all detractors and haters. I feel sorry for anybody who took the under in that game.
10: <laughs> yeah. You can never <laughs> take what Wisconsin did away in 1941, their first and only NCAA championship. Now, mm-hmm. I was thinking about this, Rowdy. I like your, uh, of the, the Chargers. Uh, I was thinking about this. Now, this team has gone to a couple more championship games. Uh, I will equate it to a final four, though, as in four appearances in the Super Bowl. I would say that I could see some parallels to the Buffalo Bills. For your Wisconsin Badgers. Now, there is a championship in their 1941 for the Badgers. Mm -hmm. But how many times have we seen the Badgers, i.e. the nut kick continuum, get close or up to the mountain, about to plant their flag, just to be kicked in the nuts and off the mountain? That would be considered to me the Buffalo Bills. They had some competition there, uh, you know, in the day. I would say the Buffalo Bills is a—I like Rowdies, though. But I would say Buffalo Bills is a good comparison if Gonzaga's the Packers then why can't the Badgers be the Buffalo Bills?
9: Sure. I would say the Badgers never went to four straight <laughs> <laughs> championship games. Final four, just play a also, lot I, <laughs> my, my My detractor <laughs> on that would be Bills had a lot of irrelevant seasons other than the 90s. That's, that's Oth- Other than just recently.
10: Uh, let's see. We have some coming in for all the. What about the Indianapolis Colts? Uh, the K- Kinger. King says Cincinnati Bengals. Mm. Oh, did you have one? I mean, we're kind of stealing some thunder here. It's. I mean, I don't think I do. I don't think there's a wrong answer to, for the most part. They're the Patriots. <laughs> okay, there's a wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one wrong answer. <laughs> Darn. Uh, I just. I was looking at my Twitter right now, and our guy Craig. Uh, he says, "Ebo, have you been drinking all night? You're really not trying to compare Wisconsin to Gonzaga, are you?" And I sent him back uh, a little gif of Leonardo DiCaprio's Jay Gatsby when he's you know he's cheersing. Uh, no, actually, I actually haven't drank in three days. But uh, I take that back. Uh-huh. I did have. When the Ryan Geist was in on Wednesday for our relief pitch, oh, beverage of the week. I, I did. You just lied to everybody. I did take a little nip off of both of those.
1: Connecting producers and consumers, one story at a time. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
2: Hey, it's Aaron Zimmerman back here with you on the Midwest Farm Report this morning. Now, as farmers and agriculturists, we're always watching the weather, and we're always interested in the weather reports and forecasts to know what's ahead but now you can become part of those weather reports to help make them more accurate and help meteorologists make better predictions by becoming a rainfall reporter for the National Weather Service. Kevin Erb is with the UW-Extension and is also involved with the group coco Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network, and those who are helping submit those rainfall reports. Now, Kevin, let's talk a little bit first about this opportunity to become a rainfall reporter and why people should get involved.
12: Yeah, I think everybody is interested in the weather. Um, it's kind of interesting. I was talking to my parents. My dad had pulled out some old calendars from his mom, and even going back to the 1940s, she had written down how much rain they had gotten on the farm, and there's a record going back almost 40 years on the home place. And what we're really trying to do is to take that interest in weather and really help improve weather forecasts. And so there's a nationwide program called coco RAS, which is the uh, Cooperative Rain and Hail Network. And what we're really looking for is individuals that want to put out one of the official rain gauges and take two minutes a day to take a look. Okay, did we get any rain, whether it was a trace or four inches, go online and just put in what they got. And that's really going to help everybody because it's going to improve not only the quality of the forecast but also the radar precipitation estimates and be used for drought monitoring as well. And we have over 500 people in the state that are putting out the official gauges and reporting. I mean there's some areas where we've got people fairly close together but there's other areas where we have multiple townships that don't have anybody and so we've got the forecast models that are computer models. They're sending up weather balloons and uh, basing it on that, but then the ground truthing of that. So the computer model says that we're going to get between half an inch and three quarters of an inch of rain, and having those reports that say instead we got a quarter inch or instead we got an inch and a half is going to help the weather service refine those models and make them more accurate over time.
2: Well, and it was interesting that you brought up before when we were talking that, you know, sometimes from even from field to field, from town to town, obviously. It doesn't have to be very far apart, but we get, you know, different amounts of rainfall. And that's one thing, I guess, that you point out is you can put these rain gauges in a lot of different places, continue to improve that accuracy, and get more specific when it comes to certain areas.
12: Yeah, and I've talked with farmers uh, last year that were a part of the program and still are, and they said, you know, that farm over there always seems to get missed by the rain. And so they saw this as an opportunity to prove that in a sense. And so they signed up, and they actually have two gauges, and they're less than a mile and a half apart. And so we know there is that variability. And the other piece of the puzzle, too, is we're in a drought in some parts of Wisconsin. And, in fact, the entire western half of the U.S. right now, a good chunk of it is in that some form of drought. Having more people reporting, even if they're reporting we didn't get anything, is going to be more beneficial in terms of documenting how widespread that is and be able to uh, help the various agencies figure out what resources and address the situation.
2: You know, now for these people who might be interested in becoming a rainfall reporter, let's talk a little bit about how easy it is to get involved, what you have to do, and how you can find more information.
12: There's a lot of folks out there that have a rain gauge already, or they may have a fully computerized weather station. And for this program, it's fairly simple. Signing up online and then acquiring or purchasing one of the official rain gauges. And a lot of people say, well, why can't I just use the one I have? We want to be consistent to make sure that everybody's data is gathered the same way. Official ones are easier to read, particularly for small amounts of precipitation. But the other thing that we found is with a number of the automated stations, if we get one of these really intense rainstorms uh, or we get significant wind during the rain event itself, Those gauges, those automated ones, are less accurate, and so having one of the official ones uh, designed to accommodate not only a very light drizzle, but also a very intense three inches or two inches per hour is really essential to getting accurate information. But it's a simple matter of signing up online. Once you do, you can see where those official gauges can be uh, purchased. There's videos as well that talk about the right way and the proper time to look at Things and report, and then it's just a matter of logging on to the website once a day and putting in the number. Just go to cocorahs.org, cocoras.org, sign up, and it really can make a difference for improving the accuracy of weather forecasts. The more people we have covering those holes in the map, the better we're going to be.
2: Well, again, that's Kevin Erb with UW Extension, and also involved with helping to collect rainfall reports from our many rainfall reporters across Wisconsin. It's easy to get signed up, and as he said, all you have to do is visit c o c o r a h s dot org to get signed up and learn how
1: to get involved. We're Keeping Wisconsin strong. Rural Mutual Insurance recently issued a special dividend to support their auto, home, farm, and business customers to help keep Wisconsin strong. This dividend will pay out over $5 million back to their policyholders. Visit RuralMutual.com to learn more. Rural Mutual Insurance. Keeping Wisconsin strong.
2: We'll go ahead and take a look at our commodity markets here this morning through the overnight trade in just a minute. But first, Culver's is holding its annual FFA Essay Contest again this year, giving away $15,000. The Wisconsin-based restaurant chain says FFA members are encouraged to write an essay for a chance to win money for their local chapters to attend leadership trainings and other special events. Contest organizer says the top three entries will win $7,500, $7,500, five thousand dollars and2500 dollars respectively for their chapters For more information students can visit essay contest those essays are going to be due April 11th at 9 a.m now let's go ahead and take a look at our commodity markets here this morning cash corn currently down 11 while new crop corn is down 6 at 663 cash soybeans down 19 and three quarters while new crop soybeans are down 14 and a quarter at fourteen eighty two and a half. and a half. The May wheat contract down 27.5, while the new crop July contract is also down 27.5 at 10.65. The April milk contract currently sits at 24.20, down 10 cents, while the May contract is down 16 cents at 24.85. On Friday, barrel cheese finished at 225, up 4, 40 pound blocks up 3.5, at 227.5, and AA butter down just three quarters at 279.5. There's a quick look at your commodity markets here this morning. Be sure to stick
1: around. We'll be right back after this. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
3: thomas custom jewelry known for creating unique pieces they're unique in their approach they actually encourage you to shop around at other jewelry stores first you'll quickly realize that william thomas is no doubt your forever jewelry resource experience william thomas custom jewelry they'll help you create a -a one-of-a-kind piece that you'll be proud
6: to wear from day one
11: william thomas custom jewelry your inspiration your custom jeweler
7: Huh. Nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. goes wall to wall, like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul,
1: helping our neighbors in need. Hang on to your tractors. Here's another update. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
0: Hey, how about a quick conversation? Getting ready for the spring planting of 2022. It's all brought to you courtesy of our Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board, Wisconsin Soybean Association. Find more, badgerbean.com, coolbean.info. You can follow them on social media as well. In studio with us is our man, Sean Conley, Dr. Sean Conley, University Extension Soybean Specialist. Man, how the world has changed since last you and I talked. We knew that it was going to be an expensive year of 2022, but now... uh, uh, everything kind of got turned on its ear. Another notch uh, with fuel cost escalating, more concern about fertilizer availability. So I can't make any mistakes this year, Sean. What are you coaching people up on? On items to pay attention to specifically now before we even break a bag open. Yeah,
13: those are good questions, Pam. So initially, I you know when we talk to farmers, the first thing we are really trying to focus growers to invest in is high yielding genetics. I think in these tight margins, farmers are looking at places where to cut, and there are some going to be some seed deals out there where you might be able to purchase a variety that's ten or twelve dollars a unit cheaper. And let's say you got <clears throat> whatever thousand acres, you know, that adds up in a hurry. But if you look at the long-term variation in our Varney testing program across the state of Wisconsin, we see at a minimum, a you know, a 15-bushel yield difference between the highest yielding variety and a low-yielding variety. And in some of these white mold years, we'll see as much as a 30-bushel yield difference. And then you just do the math on that on $15 beans, you know, we can be pushing up to a big, as much as a $500 variation in, in what that yield penalty would be from selecting low-yielding genetics, you know, the cheap stuff. I would just encourage farmers to take their time, be diligent, select high-yielding genetics, but also ones that have the flexibility in the marketplace given the challenges we're going to run into with herbicide availability. So looking at those uh, varieties that have a stack trait, so glyphosate, uh, glufosinate, and on either one of those uh, auxin inhibitors, be it uh, you know the the Enlist program or the Extend Flex, and that way farmers have flexibility in weed control management, given you know the supply chain issues we're seeing in 2022.
0: Yeah, how how are you, what are you hearing from industry on those supply chain issues? I mean, some growers have it already nestled away in the shed, ready to go. Others are concerned about uh, on-time availability and maybe some of those rescue treatments.
13: Yeah, Pam, I've been hearing, you know, I've been talking to the industry and, you know, they're actually concerned. It's a, it's a quiet level of concern because, you, you know, you don't really want to push the panic button yet, you know, but we're here in March and. I think we're starting to get some feedback from you know industry coming back to the retailers and whole whole you know the wholesalers that say, well, we might not have this specific product. So I think one of the things you really need to do is keep an open mind and and have a plan, but also have a little bit of flexibility in that plan, just in case you, you know that specific. Uh, product or isn't available or you know we run out or some challenges uh, along those lines so again that's why i'm really trying to encourage farmers just to um inherently have the greatest amount of flexibility with whatever program they choose so they have you know two three options in terms of a post-emergence herbicide program but also be very diligent with a a pre-emergence herbicide program you know dr rodrigo worley our uh you know extension field crops um Weed scientists is basically really kind of showing the benefits of those. And it's really, you know, strongly encouraged to get out there when you plant those soybeans, get a much herbicide out there to allow you the flexibility for that over, you know, that second pass over the top for that in-season weed control. And I think that's really what's going to set us up because I think last year we had some challenges with activation of herbicides because it was so dry. I think there's going to be a lot of weed seeds sitting out there that we need to manage. So just make sure we get out there and have a plan in place to be able to manage those weeds and, and set us up for success because, you know, we, the margins are tight, but also those those beans are going to be worth a lot of money. And I don't even know what, what they were looking at. But, you know, next December, we're probably at least $14, $15 a, you know, a
0: bushel. So it's, it's, it's a good time to be, you know, proactive and have that plan in place. Dr. Sean Connolly, University Extension Soybean Specialist in studio with us. I want to go back to last year. You obviously have your research trials side-by-sides, and we saw, even with the challenges last year, the soybean yield contest blew my mind as far as uh, the yields that we've got out there. How can people reference some of that information from last year's test plot, Sean, and what do we get on your test plot results?
13: Yeah, thanks, Pam. I really encourage people to go to my website, www.coolbean.info, and then we have, or follow me on Twitter at Badger Bean, because periodically during the growing season, I always try to, you know, do what we're doing here today, Pam, be a little proactive, think about what's going to be, farmers are going to need to be thinking about five days, two weeks ahead of time, trying to lay that information out. I mean, obviously, we've done a lot of work with this early planting situation that, you know, if you can get out there and the ground is fit, we're not mudding those beans in. Depending on where you are in the state of Wisconsin, you can get anywhere from 0.2 to 0.5 bushel per acre per day yield increase by planting early. And by early, I'm talking before May 1. So that's a, that's a key component right there, terms sort of getting that plan out. And, you know we're referring back to last fall, Pam, um, and those where where those record yields came from. It's kind of interesting. You know, they kind of dropped out of the air because we had a lot of drought or it was really dry across the state. and and what we found through our Verde testing program and some of our collaborations is that seed size is what really increased or gave us that yield gain last year. So we typically think about rainfall in August, uh, but we were pretty dry in August, When we started getting rainfall though that last ten days in August into early September. And on average, across the state of Wisconsin, our seed size was 10% greater than our neighbors to the south, of, uh, to like Illinois, Indiana, and southern um, Iowa. So that's what really saved us. Those so it was late season rainfalls that increased that seed size 10%. That's what led us to that record production. I think we were at 114 million bushels last year, which is a state record. And I think we were moved up to 56 bushels per acre in terms of NAS. Mm-hmm. And if you remember back, early on, they were suggesting 48, 49. And you usually see those NAS numbers drop, but ours really jumped. And, again, it was related to seed size. And that's another point is now I'm rambling about seed size, Pam, that I want to remind growers is when we're working with our seed people this year, I think the seed size is going to be bigger. Uh, Again, given the fact that we delivered seed that was 10% larger to the elevators, that means the seed that was produced here in the state of Wisconsin, um, northern Michigan, northern Iowa, southern Minnesota, they'd all has big seed. So just when you work with your seed person, just ask, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. how big is this seed going to be? Am I going to be able to get this through my planter, through my seed plates? From time to time we run into that, but also just seed delivery, you know, because You know, typically a tote of soybean is 40 bushels. This year it might be 36 or 37. Just be aware of that for logistics and moving that seed around because, you know, we don't want to be dealing with trying to push seed through a planter in May when you can't get any parts. So
0: have those conversations right now and make sure you're good to go. Again, Dr. Sean Connolly, University Extension Soybean Specialist, in studio with us, just trying to get your mind frame right when it comes to hitting the fields coolbean.info is his website at badgerbean is his twitter handle Uh, badgerbean.com the wisconsin soybean association website and like we said the closer we get to the fields the more information you're going to see being pumped out through those channels one quick item i just want to ask you take a look around wisconsin we went into winter dry the winter has not been terrible terrible what's your concern about soil moisture going in um, next question, Pam.
13: <laughs> so it, it's generally a concern. I'm a little bit concerned about that. I, like you had referenced earlier, Pam, last year it was dry going in the growing season, and we haven't had a lot of precipitation between then and now. Um, I, I think what that will do is it will probably facilitate early planting. On the soybean side of things, that's where it might be good just to watch our tillage uh, if we go out there and do you know do too many rounds of tillage that will dry out that will release a lot of water, you know from the soil profile. And you know on the soybean side of things, we're a little bit more fortunate. Um, we just need enough rainfall basically to get that seed germinated and start growing. And up to about R1, that plant is only put on about 10% of its biomass. So it can get away with not as much water reserves as, say, corn early on. But once we get into that first week in July, that's where we're going to need it. So uh, I think we're going to be okay, you know, April into May. Mid June, but then that's where we're going to be challenges, and that would go back to again the whole point we ran into last year, Pam, with the, the herbicides not being activated uh, due to dry soil conditions. So it's just something to think about and and talk to your co-op or your your or your, your retailer, whoever you buy your products from, just to, to ask that question.
0: Yeah, relationships are definitely going to matter this year for sure. Dr. Sean Conley, University Extension Soybean Specialist, in studio with us with some thought starters for you. And remember, as I said, it really is good to kind of follow along with the conversation coolbean.info, badgerbean.com, or at badgerbean on Twitter. We'll keep you posted through the growing season, but there you go. Some ideas to keep in mind as we get started. Brought to you courtesy of the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board and your soybean checkoff dollars.
1: This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
8: You can rely on Blaine's Farm and Fleet for quality products,